Genesis chapter 42. Remember where we've been. You might not have been here for this. Joseph was 17 years old. His father had placed him over his brothers. And God had revealed to Joseph some truth. And God told Joseph in a dream that his brothers were going to bow down before him. And Joseph told his brothers, and they didn't like it. They said, we will not have this man to reign over us. And they refused the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what they did. They refused the plan of God. They said, we will not have it. So they took him and they threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. He was taken from that pit to the slave market in Egypt. And he was sold to the captain of the Pharaoh's guards, a man named Potiphar. He became the head of Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife wanted to have an illicit relationship with him. She said, come lie with me. And he said, no. He ran away from her and she kept his coat. And so he was betrayed into prison. So he was in prison for years and God raised, he became the head of that prison. He, he got to where he was running everything. He was just an amazing man. And then through the visions that he had interpreted, Pharaoh brings him out of the prison. Joseph interprets his dream, tells him that there are going to be seven years of plenty, lots of food, and then there are going to be seven years of terrible famine. And he told them, what you need to do is make sure that you take the food from the seven years of plenty and store it up, and all of the world will have to come to Egypt for food. And they became the wealthiest nation on earth, and Joseph was made to sit at the right hand of the king. Now, let me tell you a couple of things that are just amazing about that. First of all, he is taken from the pit to the palace. Jesus Christ went into the pit of death. And because of that death, the Bible says, Wherefore God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? And that's exactly what happened. When you look in the book of Genesis, chapter 41, it's either 40 or 41, when Pharaoh puts him up and places him at his right hand, he had men go before him crying, bow the knee, bow the knee. He's an amazing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but not only does Pharaoh put him at his right hand, he gives him a new name, and that name means Savior of the world. Who does that sound like? Jesus Christ. The next thing that the king does is the king gives him a Gentile bride. The king gives this, Je this Jewish man a Gentile bride. And they have a wedding feast. And the next thing that happens after the wedding feast, the marriage feast, is you have seven years of famine and tribulation in the land. When God's people, the Jews, are brought to bow before the one who can give him bread. Apparently... Whoever wrote the book of Revelation also wrote the book of Genesis. Amen? It's just such an amazing thing. I read commentaries, and I heard preachers. I was just talking to a preacher recently who had just preached through Genesis. And I said, hey, wasn't, wasn't it amazing the way that Joseph is a type of Christ? He said, well, I didn't talk about that much. I wanted to lay down and start flopping on the ground. You know? That's like going to Culver's and not eating ice cream. It's crazy. I, I, I don't understand it. And I think they're afraid. I think people are afraid that when they look at these types, that it's too speculative. Speculative? It's supernatural. I can't make it up. It's there. And last week we looked at how now Joseph is on the throne, and now the famine has begun, 
Jacob realizes there's no food in Canaan. And he says, I've heard that there's bread in Egypt. And he sends his sons to Egypt. And those sons come and bow before Joseph, just as God had prophesied. It's an amazing thing. And we learned last week many of the things that we have to do if we're ever going to have eternal life. If we're going to have eternal life, we're going to have to come down from whatever it is that we're trusting in to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who can give us eternal life. Amen? That's it. That's it. We also learned he sent his sons, Jacob did. He sent his sons, but he kept back Benjamin because he didn't trust who Jesus Christ was. And it's amazing how many people, for religious purposes, for traditional purposes, they actually keep their children from the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that can give them eternal life. It's an amazing thing. So we looked at how we must come and bow before the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the what? The what? The Lord Jesus, not my buddy Jesus. You know, me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, he is the Lord. He is the king. When you come to him, you are changing teams. Amen. You are changing your allegiances. You're no longer trusting your own religion, your own good works, your own abilities. You are coming and you're saying, Lord Jesus, you are my king. You have the right to everything in my life. You're the only reason I have anything. You're Lord. That's what it means. That's why Joseph's brothers did not want to bow before him. They didn't want him to be their Lord. And what we're learning today, the portion of the text we come to today, is an amazing picture of Israel refusing to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ and God bringing tribulation to them so that they are forced to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. So let's look at our text. Let's start reading Genesis chapter 42. And let's start reading in verse 5. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn. Now, we understand that, that corn in the Bible, the Bible talks about corn of wheat. This is talking about grain. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan, to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. What does the Bible say in the book of John? The Bible says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. You see, Jesus Christ knows who his brethren are, but they refuse to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. And so look at what happens in the middle of verse 7. It says, He spake roughly unto them. He spake roughly unto them. We, we've got to understand this. I know some of you wonder why I wear a coat in here. Um, it's because it's a nice coat and I want you to see it. 
what, what God had intended, it's okay, you can come back, all right? What God had intended was for the nation of Israel to receive the blessings from his hand. And because of the way that God blessed Israel, then the rest of the world would be drawn to their God. That was God's plan. But that would only happen as God's people worshipped him from their heart. Not because of what he gives them. You know, imagine if the only reason Laura loved me was because I buy her jewelry. Okay, what's a girl's best friend? Diamonds. I understand. But imagine if that's the only reason she loved me. Lately, she wouldn't have loved me very much. (laughs) No, she needs to love me because of who I am. I'm her husband, not because of what I do for her. Now, because I love her, I do do things for her. And that's, that, that's God's plan. Because she loves me, she does a whole lot more for me than I ever do for her. And all the ladies said, amen. amen. Now, listen. They were supposed to worship God from the heart, but they didn't. They didn't. They didn't do that. Do you understand that we're in the same boat? Now, the Bible says to us, you are the light of the world. The Bible says, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. What we are supposed to do is we are supposed to be worshiping God from the heart. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. We're supposed to have something in us that changes us. Remember what God said about Israel? They draw near me with their lips, with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And so that's what happened. Now God has drawn the children of Israel. He's drawn Joseph's brothers to back to Egypt to bow before Joseph, who's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Joseph speaks roughly to him. He did this for two reasons. The first reason he did it is because they deserved it. Amen. We can look for some deep spiritual meaning in that, and there is some, but the simple fact is they had sold him into slavery. They deserved it. Secondly, he acts this way because he wants to see if their hearts are changed. He wants to see if their hearts are changed. And of course, this gives us the understanding that when the tribulation period begins and God starts working on Israel, he's doing it. Don't miss this. Because they deserve it. Because they deserve it. But I don't know if we really understand what's going to happen. The Bible tells us, now, and we are literalists. We believe the Bible just means what it says. Amen? And it's interesting, the more literal you take the Bible, the more you actually understand it. It's amazing how God starts to open things up. So... Based on a literal reading of the Bible, and sometimes people say, well, that's just your interpretation. No, I didn't interpret it. I just read it. God has interpreted it for us by writing it down in clear language. Amen? And what he tells us is this, that there is going to come a day when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with him in the air to meet the Lord in in the air, to meet the Lord in the clouds or whatever it says. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Is that what the Bible says? There's no figurative or symbolic language in that. That is what's coming. That's what's going to happen. And the Bible tells us that when that happens, we are being delivered from the wrath to come. Joseph is speaking roughly to his brothers. Why? Because there's wrath to come. And I don't know that we genuinely understand what this wrath is. In the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 5 and 6, you have seven seals being opened. And so let's go to Revelation. Now let's take a look at a couple of passages. The book of Revelation, for many years, was a closed book because people did not take it literally. There's no reason for this book to be closed to us. And let's look at chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now, when we think of a book, we think of a book like this. This is a scroll. So it's written on both sides of the scroll, but it's sealed. It's rolled up and it's sealed, uh, just like with a wax seal. It's sealed. Uh, Look at verse 2. It's sealed with seven seals at the end of verse 1. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Now notice, and, and I love the consistency of Scripture, the words of Scripture, the passage from Philippians chapter 2 that we quoted a minute ago, uh, who is going to bow the knee before the Lord Jesus Christ? Everyone in heaven and earth and under the earth. The same people that were not worthy to open the seals. Amen? Same people. But look at what it says. Verse 4. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Let's... Can we just think about something? Have you ever heard someone say this? I have the right to know. Uh, Church, who has the right to open this book other than the Lord Jesus Christ? No one. The fact that God has revealed anything to us at all is simply by His grace. There are people that say, if I stand... I I had a guy say to me one time, "If if I die... And there is a God, if there is a Jesus Christ, and I stand before him, I'll spit in his face. First of all, no, you won't. (laughs) Second, do you know why he said it? He said, because because God didn't show us himself clearly enough. All right, he has shown himself clearly And secondly, he's given us way more information than we ever deserved. Who's worthy to open the book? 
nobody on heaven, earth, or under the earth. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Hath prevailed over what? He humbled himself and was made and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, because of that, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name above all names. So he's prevailed over sin. He's prevailed over death. He's prevailed over Satan. Amen? So he's prevailed. We're getting some information about Jesus Christ. Verse 6, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne... And of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain. So Jesus Christ, if you saw him physically today, he would look like he looked when he was killed. He bears in his body for eternity the marks that he took for you and for me. It's an amazing thing. Let's look at verse 7. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Your prayers are collected. That's not just poetic language. Your prayers do accomplish something. Amen. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Look at verse 12. And saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever isn't that a great passage and we sing the songs thou art worthy thou art worthy and we love it aren't you glad he's worthy And what he's worthy to do is to open the seal of a book that pronounces a death sentence on more than three quarters of the population of the earth. That's what the seals. He opens the seven seals. The seventh seal reveals seven trumpets. And in each of these seals is a progressively worse judgment. You get to the trumpets, and in each of those seven trumpets, it's a progressively worse judgment. The seventh trumpet reveals seven vials or bowls. And God has his angels take those bowls, those vials, and dump them on the earth. And judgment is brought. To this world. Do you know what he's doing? He's speaking. Roughly. 
to Israel. He's tried for centuries. The Bible says blindness has come in part to the Jews right now. It's done. The Bible says that all of these things are going to happen until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. We're living in the times of the Gentiles right now. We are Gentiles, amen? But the Bible says that the times of the Gentiles end when the nation of Israel has been reestablished. Well, that happened in 1948. Do you know what that means? We are living on borrowed time. The Lord Jesus Christ will return at any moment when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. That means that there will come a time when the last person gets saved. That, there is a time that God says, okay, that's full. That's full. And when that happens, then the rapture takes place. Every born-again person, dead and alive, is taken up to be in heaven. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb, just as the king gave Joseph his Gentile bride. Amen? We have the feast. We have the seven years of tribulation on this earth, though. That's the seven years of famine that God has prophesied. And he's told them, prepare for it. It's coming. It's not a surprise. And when we look at what happens to the nation of Israel, and remember, if you're here, this is the time to judge the nation of Israel. If you're here, you get to be judged with them. The Bible says that every knee is going to bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be better for you to do it now. If you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, do it today. Don't delay. He could come at any moment. Any moment. Well, when he starts judging Israel and people are dying, I mean, the stink of their death comes before God. There are people that think it's not right for God to do that. Do you know why? It's because we live in this Laodicean period where we don't understand the sinfulness of of sin. Look at Revelation chapter 3. I'll show you what I mean. Verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. What's that talking about? Well, that, that for every church, God has assigned an angel. That might be new to you. If it is, it's just what the Bible says. What, what does the Bible say right here? He's saying to the angel of the church of Laodiceans. Amen. You might have a footnote that says it's a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm no angel. All right? It's, it's an angel. And, and unto the church, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, not the church of Jesus Christ in Laodicea. This is the Laodiceans church. If you look at verse 21, Jesus Christ is standing on the outside of that door knocking. He's not in that church. Look at what the Bible says. These things saith the amen. That means the true. This is true. There's truth. The faithful and true witness. Jesus Christ said in John 18, verse 37, that he had come to bear witness to the truth. And Pilate responded, what is truth? He is the truth. And then he's the beginning of the creation of God. In this period of time, the greatest attacks have been, there's no truth. There are no absolutes. The, the faithful and true witnesses are gone. We have preachers who don't believe the truth that's found in the word of God. 
And it's all based on an evolutionary structure where they deny the creation. And Jesus Christ says, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. He's the answer to the problem of this age. But then look at what it says. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So here's what he says. In each of these seven churches, there's a commendation. He says something good to them, and then a condemnation. He, he says where they're falling short. Only two churches are not condemned by Jesus. It's the church at Smyrna, which was a suffering church, and the church at Philadelphia. And it says, thou hast a little strength and hast not denied my name. So the two churches that God doesn't condemn are the suffering church and the weak church. Neither of those do you find taught at church growth seminars. Right? So here we are in Laodicea. There's only one of the churches, one of the seven churches, that Jesus Christ does not compliment. Only one. There's only one church that does nothing right. And it's the church at Laodicea. We need to understand this is where we live that's where we live it doesn't mean that we have to be laodicean but we must understand the spirit of the age and the way that satan is trying to infect us with that spirit and here's how we know if we've been infected by it look at what the text says verse 16 so then because thou art lukewarm oh let me say this Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't criticize them for not working. There's lots of religious activity going on. Church on every corner, right? Number two, he doesn't criticize them for false doctrine. Most Christian churches have an orthodox statement of faith. Right? They just don't care about it. They're lukewarm. I say to Laura, do you love me? And she says, eh. That's lukewarmness. And it makes God want to throw up. That's what it says. Because... Verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Why? Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. The problem with the spirit of our age is complacency. We think we're okay. We don't need anything. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. See, our problem, the reason that we see Joseph speaking roughly to Israel, and we look at it and, and, and we think, God's killing all those people. How could a loving God do that? Because we think we are okay, and we don't realize that we're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. But Jesus doesn't want to leave us there. Amen? He doesn't want to leave us there. He counsels us. He tells us how to get rid of that problem. Look at what he says. Verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I think it's interesting that the God of the ages 2,000 years ago speaks in economic terms to the market-driven church. It's amazing. 
supernatural truth that's in this book. And he says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. He says, you need to have a new evaluation of what is valuable to you. Gold is the deity of Jesus Christ. I am the God of the ages. Trust me. Place your value in me. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The Bible says that where, we, where the treasure is, there will your heart be also. So he says, treasure me. Re-evaluate your priorities. Do you know what he's saying? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, he's the king. He says, buy of me gold. And then he says, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Remember what happened? Genesis chapter 3, they have eaten the fruit. Eve is deceived. She eats the fruit. Adam didn't want to live without her. He takes the fruit and eats it. And then they realize that they're naked. And they make fig leaves to cover themselves. And God comes and searches for them and they hide. Wherefore art thou, Adam? And he hid himself. God said to him, why did you hide? And he said, because we were naked and ashamed. Remember that? Do you know what the difference between Adam and Eve and Laodicea is? They knew they were naked and they were ashamed. In Laodicea, we don't know that we're naked and we're unashamed. Do you know what he says? I want to clothe you in white raiment. Do you know what's happening here? The bridegroom is looking for a bride. The Bible tells us that believers, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do you know what God gives us when we go to heaven? White raiment. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, We are a spotless bride. The Bible tells us that he wants to, the apostle Paul wants to present the church to Jesus Christ, a spotless virgin. The Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as snow. Amen? Just completely clean. That's what God wants to give you. He wants to make you pure. He wants to make you clean. He wants to make you whole. It doesn't matter what you've done. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that on the cross... Jesus Christ, he who knew no sin, he's completely clean. I'm completely covered up in sin. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He wants to give you white raiment completely clean. It's just such a wonderful thing. And then he says, and I want to put eye salve on your eyes. So that you can see. Do you know what blindness is in the Bible? Not being able to see the truth and the reality of the word of God. God wants to, Jesus Christ wants to heal your eyes by saving you, by redeeming you, by cleaning you. And then reveal the wonderful riches of his word. And you know what he's doing right now? He's standing, knocking on the door. That's what verse 21 says. 
waiting for you to open that door and let him come in. You know why? Because he loves you. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you are saved and you're not living right, he still loves you. Look at the next verse. As many as I love, I chasten. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. What is the rebuke? You think you're okay, but you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. That's the rebuke. And God wants to open it up for us. Clean us and cleanse us. Here's what he says. Be zealous. Stop being lukewarm. Be zealous. And repent. And that's what happens. This is exactly what the nation of Israel has to do all the way back in Genesis chapter 42. Let's go back to our text and look at what happens. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them. Verse 9. And he said, ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land ye are come. He, he tries to identify what's going on with them. He spoke harshly to them because he wants to see if their hearts are changed. Is there remorse, sadness, guilt, and repentance? Or are they as hard and indifferent as ever? Listen to what God is looking for. This is Psalm chapter 51. This is what David said. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That's what he's looking for from his brothers. Joseph remembered his dreams. and Verses 7 through 17, Joseph deals very harshly with his brothers. He makes them tremble in fear. He forces them to begin revealing the truth about their lives and the intents of their heart. During the time of the tribulation, Jesus will punish the sons of Jacob in the same way for the same reasons, because they had left him. In Hosea 9.17, the prophet says, My God will cast them away because they did not hearken unto him, and they shall be wanderers among the nations. And, and look at what they say. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> and they said, Thy servants are twelve brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father. Now look at this. And one is not. Is not what? They didn't know. They didn't have any idea. Isn't it amazing the way that we soft soap our condition and our failures and our behavior? I'm not that bad. Look, we have one who's not. They could have said, well, we have one that we hated, so we threw him in a pit. They didn't say that. There's one who was really a nice kid, but we wanted to see him killed because... We didn't want him to be over us. See, they didn't say 
what the truth was. And he is not. It's amazing how a man tries to put his crimes in the best light. Are they serious? We do the same thing, so we tell the tale of our lives in such a way as to convince others that we are not vile, wretched, hell-deserving sinners. And one is not. Do you know that today, this is exactly, this is exactly the position of Israel about Jesus Christ. They believe that He lived, but He's not their Lord. But one is not. They believe that He died because they killed Him. But if you asked if He was resurrected, they would say, but one is not. You say, is He your Messiah? Uh, No, no, He's not. Is He your King? No, no, He's not. We're expecting the Messiah to come, but not Him. So here are the boys, the the children of Israel, the sons of Jacob. They were willing to have a king, but not that one. They were willing to bow before the second in command in Egypt, uh, but not the humble shepherd boy, the favorite son of the aged father. (laughs) Not Jesus. Not Jesus. So he speaks harshly unto them. Liberal pulpits and seminaries today believe that Jesus Christ existed, but they don't call him Lord. He is not. They're going to be shocked and as shocked as those ten brothers when they stand before him. Amen? Verses 15 and 16. Look at what it says. Send one of you and let him fetch your brother that ye shall be kept in prison that your words may be proved whether there be any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely ye are spies. And he put them all together into ward three days. And Joseph said unto them the third day, this do and live for I fear God. Anyone notice the third day there? If you're a guest, anytime you see the third day or three days in the Bible, there's always death and resurrection. They thought they were going to die. After three days, he said, you can live. It's an amazing supernatural book. Amen. But he's checking to see if they're the same men that they were. What is God looking for in Israel during the tribulation period? He's looking for repentance. Why? Why? Because in verses 18 through 20, Joseph reveals the deliverance, reveals that deliverance comes through a substitute. Look at verse 18. He says, For I fear God, at the end of verse 18, verse 19, If if ye be true men, let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. Go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, so shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. You see, they needed a substitute. They needed someone to come and be the one that would be their payment. He's revealing that to them. And now we see the glorious work of God in the lives of Joseph's brethren. And we see a clear picture 
of what will transpire in the heart of the remnant of Israel during the coming tribulation period. Look at what happens in verse 21. Their conscience kicks in. And they said one to another, We are verily, that's truly, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. Can I ask you a question? What did Joseph say about himself? Nothing. Here's the deal. The Jews know, Israel knows that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Everyone knows He's Lord. The Bible tells us that. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. The Bible says if we don't praise Him, the rocks will cry out. The tadpoles know that He's Lord. The trees know that He's Lord. The dogs and the birds know that He's Lord. We all know that He's Lord. The heavens declare the glory of God. The power of God, even His eternal Godhead, is revealed in the creation. They know. Amen? And so here's what happens. Here they are in Egypt, and they're, they're being revealed to the, their, their trouble. And I want you to see, the formula for Israel's repentance is right here. First of all, we are very guilty. That's what it says, verse 21. We are very guilty. That's conscience. And then, memory. Memory, look at what it says. Concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul, and he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Conscience, we are very guilty. Memory. You remember what you did wrong. The Bible says they remembered the anguish of his soul. We don't have recorded that, jo that Joseph cried. But he did. They remembered his cries, his screams. Don't leave me in the pit! And Jesus Christ came. And he cried in the temple. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me for rest. He lifted up and he cried, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They saw the anguish of his soul. In the garden, he prayed and he agonized and he sweat as it were great drops of blood. They saw him. They saw his suffering. Memory. And then, reason. Therefore, is this distress come upon us. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Let his blood be on our heads and on our children's heads. It's the same formula today. The purpose of the 21 coming judgments upon the Hebrews will serve to bring them face to face with the guilt of rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. He called to them, but they refused. They saw the anguish of his soul, but only mocked. Some of their own, even Judas and Pilate, tried to talk them out of their misdeeds. But they insisted. Look at verse 22. And, Rabin and, and Reuben answered them, saying, Spake I not against you, saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required.
And they knew not that Joseph understood them. For he spake unto them by an interpreter. And he turned himself abrupt from them and wept. And returned to them again and communed with them. And took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. In that time of great distress called the tribulation period, they will begin to say we are very guilty. Such a realization and confession must precede salvation for a nation or an individual. Amen? Aren't you glad? Is there anybody here you're glad that Jesus Christ revealed himself to you? Are you glad that you're born again and that you've seen this amazing book? God has opened it to you. Did you know that if you're saved, Jesus loves you? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Do you know what God sees when He looks at you? Perfection. He just loves you. He just loves you. If you're not saved, did you know that God is angry with you right now? The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And God's anger will not go away because He is a just God. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And that's why Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. Wherefore, as by sin entered the world and death by sin, so then death passed upon every man for that all have sinned. That's why Jesus Christ came. It's such a wonderful thing that God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I told you God's angry with you. Yeah, He is. But He loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Don't let religious tradition, don't let pride, don't let anything keep you from coming to bow before the Savior. Don't be like Joseph's brothers who said, we will not have this man to reign over us because one day you will bow. Joseph's brothers bowed and you will bow. You can do it willingly or you can do it unwillingly. But you'll do it. Now he has come as your Savior. He will come as your judge. Let him be your Savior. He doesn't want to be your judge. The Bible says that God hath rendered all judgment to the Son. At that great white throne judgment, in the book of Revelation it says, and I saw a throne, and I saw a great white throne. And everyone, small and great, stood before it. The Bible says that the heaven and earth fled away from the face of the one that sits on the throne. And there's only one judgment. There's only one verdict. And death and hell were cast into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And the books are closed. The judge comes down off of the throne. it's over.
eternal bliss and wonder in worshiping our Redeemer throughout the ages or an eternal suffering and Christless torment forever. Jesus doesn't want you to do that, so He tasted death for you. He doesn't want Israel to go through that, so He came to be their Messiah. He is coming back to sit on His throne. He is coming back to make things right. Pray for Israel. Be zealous and repent. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love your book. We love your word. It is such an amazing...